We are going to continue with our study of the seven churches and to tell you where we began and where we've been. Uh, on August the 10th, we started this study and we have gone from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos to Thyatira to Sardis and we've had an interlude. We went to Philadelphia last week. And today we're on another interlude. Now, once a month we have a family event. Next week we will be separating the men from the women. And we'll be having uh, two groups next week. And then the first Wednesday in November, Sister Joan Payne will be teaching on Laodicea. And then we'll have the eighth church or the eighth letter to the church, which will be Pastor Reverend Paul Dyer talking about us to us. So I'm looking forward to that, and then we'll finish up with uh, Derek giving us a summary. Then after Thanksgiving, we won't have Wednesday night service the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, but after Thanksgiving we will begin an Advent study, which is the coming of Christ. It will culminate on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, what a glorious day of Christ's arrival. But anyway, uh, our interlude tonight is between Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I've chosen the book of Colossians to kind of give us that interlude. Laodicea. The Lord didn't have anything good to say about them. The letter to Philadelphia and to Sardis, he didn't really have anything bad to say about them. So we're kind of between nothing bad to say and nothing good to say. So hopefully tonight as we study in Colossians, uh, I'll be reading some from Colossians chapter 1, and I might touch a little bit. Uh, but I hope the meat will be the conclusion. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. But uh, Colossians was written by Paul, and according to all the study and the commentaries that I have looked at, he never went to the church at Colossae. He was in Ephesus at the Ephesian church for about three years, but he's writing this letter, along with a couple more, four Pauline prison uh, letters, but he's writing this letter from Rome in prison, and he's, it's a letter of encouragement, but it's four chapters. The first two chapters talks about orthodoxy, which is right doctrine, correct doctrine, the supremacy of Christ, in chapters 3 and 4, is orthopraxis, which is right living, or living right, submission to Christ. So, there are several mentions of cities and names in chapter 4 that we'll discuss a little bit of, maybe some in chapter 1, but basically two verses in chapter 1 that we want to to get into, but let me give you just a brief summary of, of chapters, chapter 1. And chapter 1 and 2 focuses on what Christ did for us. Chapters 3 and 4 is about what Christ does through us. So there's two chapters on what he does for us, and there's two chapters on what he does through us. But the key is that Christ is supreme. He's supreme in creation. He's supreme in redemption. And he's supreme in the church, all in chapter 1. So, let me get my King James Bible. I told my Sunday school class Sunday that I don't do any kind of social media but I had somebody tell me that uh, the only Facebook they have is where they put their face in the book. 
And that's what I want to do. We're going to read verse 16, but let me tell you, the first two or three verses are the greeting from Paul. He always gives some type of greeting in his letters. And then verses 3 through 8, he gives thanks for the Colossian church, the church at Colossae. And hopefully I won't have all this stuff run away from me. But... As I said, he wasn't at Colossian. The church at Colossae was 100 miles east of Ephesus where Paul was the pastor. And Epaphras was a, a tender member, possibly the founder of the Colossian church. And he went and was probably converted in, a, in the church at Ephesus and took it back to Colossae. Uh, Archippus, I believe, is, is another name that's mentioned that was a minister. He might have been the pastor of the church in chapter 4. We'll get to that in a little while. But, but the primary focus is Christ being supreme. And verse 16 is one of the verses I want to read. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Uh, back in the 1900s, I was a science teacher. And when we got into the chemistry, we talked about the protons and the electrons and neutrons. And I could never figure out why the electrons, which were negative, that circled the atom or circled the nucleus, him teaches science now, why it didn't collapse on the positive protons. That's because of Christ. By him, all things exist. It keeps the atoms from collapsing and the negative being attracted to the positive. So, I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. Verse 18 is so, so important. He said, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Now, King James says preeminence. That's a fancy word for first place. So, in all things... Christ has first place. The word tithe means you're first and best. Preeminence means put him first. So it's talking about how supreme Christ is in the creation, in redemption, and in the church. As you go on down to verse 27 of chapter 1, the last seven words is what, nine words is what we're going to focus on, but I'll read the whole verse. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's a two-way street. I, in Christ, I can face the Father and come boldly before his throne and say, Abba, Father, in Christ, I'm covered, I'm perfect, I'm striving in his power, I know the riches of his glory. But it's not just I in Christ, it's like verse 27 says, it's Christ in me. Christ in me, I can face the world. I can face the devil. I can face the fiery darts that come my way. Alone, without Christ in me, I'm defenseless. I'm helpless. And I'm also repulsive. 
know, some of you might say, well, he's repulsive anyway, but we're humans. We're going to have some repulsive moments. But Christ in me, as we, you know, in chapter 3, it talks about what to put on, what to put off, and put on this, put on that, put on this, put on the whole body, whole armor of Christ, a whole armor of Christ, but we have to arm ourselves. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when I keep plugged in, hooked in to the Holy Ghost heavenly water hose, when the Holy Ghost, when the water just starts flowing through and then out of your belly, it takes a while. Have you ever taken a garden hose out in the summer and whenever you first turn on the water, you have to let the hot water and the mud and all the sticks and everything get out of it. Then after a while, that hose just seems to be clear, clean. You can drink from it. might not want to, but you can. We're the same way. We are that Holy Ghost hose. Our body is an instrument, a vessel to Him. And... When I first start praying, when I first start praising, when I first start bowing down, when I first start with the Lord, the water that comes out may be a little muddy. Because as I walk, I get the, the world sometimes wipes off on you. Because well, John chapter 17 was the Lord's Prayer. He says, Lord, I don't pray, Father, I don't pray that, that you'll take them out of the world, but you'll be with them, that we'll be in unity, and that they'll be one, be in unity. So, in chapter 3, the first few verses, he talks about the position of the believer, and I think I've got time to read some. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. I think Pastor had a sermon about seeking heavenly things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will fall in place. He says, seek those things which are above. Where Christ, where is he? He sitteth on the right hand of God. And set your affection, your love, on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I should have brought this up here with me. But I wore a jacket. Brother Marvin has to walk around and find out where the warmest place is in the sanctuary. But when I'm wearing this jacket... I get a little warm, but if I were to take this jacket off and put it down right here, you can't, you can't look at that jacket and say, well, there's Steve Mosier. That's my clothing. This body is my earth suit. So just like that coat is not me, be absent from the body is present with the Lord. So set your things on your affections, your thoughts. Seek things above and not on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, so he's our hope of glory, he's also our life. Then shall ye also, when he shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. All right, let's get to chapter 4. But I had to say that just as an introduction. Most of the studies, Brother Lonas did a great job last week with Philadelphia going verse by verse, but you have to have a foundation before you can go forward. So I'm going to read from the conclusion of Colossians, and if I can, I don't, I don't, I'm not as good as Derek about having someone to pass things out and 
and run, but it's a front seat, back seat. So, but it's got a map of the Asia Minor, the seven churches, but I'm going to focus on the cluster around Laodicea. On the back side is a or three little maps of what we're going to be looking at. And early in my walk with Christ, I didn't understand a lot of the things in the Bible. And one of the reasons was I didn't know the geography. I didn't know the lay of the land. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know what was going on. But now... From where you live and from where you sit, you can just put, when you go out here and get in your vehicle, you can put it in drive. It's going to go to your house. It's going to take you home. You don't even have to drive. Have you ever gone through an intersection and said, was that light red? Or how did I get here? Well, when you look at these, this path, the roads, if you look on the front the, the blue waters of the Mediterranean around the seven churches, there was sort of a, I don't want to call it a Pony Express because I'm sure they had mail trucks back in those days, not really, but they had sort of a mail route that started pretty much at Laodicea, but Many started at Ephesians because, or Ephesus because that's the first letter. And it just goes in sort of a clockwise semicircle or oval. Uh, and you'll see they went to Ephesus and then Smyrna and then Sardis and then Pergamum and then Thyatira and then Philadelphia and then Laodicea. And Laodicea is nestled between two cities. And I don't want to steal any of Joan Payne's thunder because she's going to be all over it on November 2nd talking about the church at Laodicea, so get ready. But just as a little bit of introduction, <clears throat> those three cities, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, Laodicea lies between them. And Colossae is about 11 miles from Laodicea and about 13 miles from Hierapolis. So in the, the analogy that I have is it's about like Tri-Cities. If anybody's ever been to Johnson City, Bristol, Kingsport, Tri-Cities, they're all pretty much but they don't have the bodies of water like the Lycus Valley with the Meander River and all the different, different things. But as we look, if you'll look on the back, the top photo or the top uh, picture, you can actually see the trade route. Sort of looks like roads or some type of, of things. But Ephesus is about 100 miles from Colossae. And Colossae started out as a pretty productive city, but it declined as times went by, and Laodicea got stronger and more prominent and was a banking center and a medical center and the wool center. One commentary said they were famous for their black wool. Another one said they sort of had a purple wool also. So uh, here in Laodicea, is stuck right between Hierapolis and Colossae. We'll talk more in just a minute about Hierapolis, which was a... All these cities are in Ferga. But you see the river that runs through, Lycus, and the Meander River, the water source that's all around them. But for so long, uh, and it's been mentioned that That, you know, when 
we talk about the letters to the churches, there were several different admonitions. And John will get to this about spewing, or I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot, or I want you to be cold. Well, as a Church of God boy, back in 1960, well, back in the day, I couldn't figure out how that God said or Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold. I thought, why does he want me to be cold? But I don't want you to be lukewarm because I'll spew you out of my mouth. Well, King James cleans it up. Spew. Have you ever said, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to spew. No, I've got to vomit. I've got to throw up. I've got to hurl. I've got to puke. I'm selling those cars. Buick, you know, or, or <laughs> hug the porcelain. And you've got, but he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. But the reason was in Hierapolis, it was noted to have hot springs or warm springs. And that was where Laodicea got a lot of their water source was from that warm springs. But a lot of people went there. It was sort of like our Teleco village. It was a retirement place, a place where people went and retired and got that medicinal value of laying in those warm springs and, and uh, getting the salts and the minerals on their body. In Colossae, they had their water source was a city cold or teleco cold water. Now, back in March, I went to the Holy Land and I just commemorated my baptism by being baptized in the Jordan River. You talk about cold. When the water from Mount Hermon comes down, I mean, it's City Coco. When we used to go to, as a youth, we'd go to City Co or Teleco. Dad would take a watermelon. He'd put it down in the, in, the, in the creek or the stream and let it get cold. He didn't worry about it being cold when we went up there, but by the time we ate and grilled out and played horseshoe or whatever, we'd go get that ice-cold watermelon that had been in that stream. But Colossae... Their water was cold. And if you've ever been waiting, oh, I mean, it'll take your breath, but it's so refreshing. So when the Lord says, I don't want you to be, I'd rather you be hot like the hot springs of Hierapolis, I'd rather you be cold so you can refresh me like the cold water of Colossae. It both into, emptied into Laodicea and created a lukewarm, pukered, pukered, spewing water. So that's just a little bit of foundation for Joan. Like I say, Joan, I didn't mean to steal that much of your thunder. But you see the road, the Colossae just had a little offshoot. But... Laodicea and Hierapolis was part of the main drag or the main road. And you see the Lycus River Valley on the bottom where Laodicea was strategically located between those two cities along the Lycus Valley, the Lycus River. But Colossae is over there on the, the middle chart or map kind of gives you a little more perspective as to as to what it looks like without the topographical and the the climate because it's a temperate climate there. <clears throat> but let's read in Colossians chapter 4. And I think we're starting in verse Seven, yes. It's the conclusion. And uh, there's going to be some names in there that I'll try to 
direct you where they originate or where they come from. But just before he, he talks this conclusion, this final admonition, we'll start back up in verse 2. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. <clears throat> We're praying for that young lad in the hospital. You're just supposed to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Without ceasing, the Word says. Well, how do I do that? Have you ever woke up at 2.30 in the morning and you're praying? Maybe in tongues, maybe in English. When I pray, I don't use a lot of the flowery language like thee and thou and how great thou. I may sing it, I may... Uh, but uh, I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, you know what we talked about earlier? I keep reminding him what his word says. I keep reminding myself what his word says. But he says, keep praying, continue in prayer, watch in the same with thanksgiving. Withal praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Now here's Paul writing from prison in Rome and he's got some fellow prisoners with him. We'll get to them here in a minute. <clears throat> but he's writing this letter. He says in verse 4 that I may make it manifest as, as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. You know what the Word says. He says, redeem the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You're the salt, you're the light. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. Pay attention. He's going to say to a lot of people, you should have known. I had it right there in the Word. I had it. It was there. Keep praying. Keep seasoning with grace. Now, our text that we're going to spend a little bit of time with, verse 7, he says, All my state shall Tychicus, Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So... Tychicus and Onesipus were the messengers that took the letter to Colossae, to the church in Colossae. Onesimus is the converted slave that you read about in Philemon. And Paul says, you know, treat him as you would, as you would me and put, my, put his debt on me. So Onesimus, he said, he is valuable. And then in verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. He's here with me in, in prison. He salutes you too. Who is one of you? They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Now, Marcus was John Mark, and I think it was the first missionary journey that he went with Paul and Barnabas, and he got homesick part of the way through and went back home. So the next time they were going to go on a journey, <coughs> Barnabas said, Barnabas means consolation. He's going to console. He's going to give comfort. He said, he said, all right, Paul, let's go. We're taking John Mark with us. He happened to be John Mark, happened to be Barnabas' nephew, his sister's son. 
Paul said, not so. I ain't going to do it. You leave me once, shame on you. Leave me twice, shame on me for taking you the second time. So they had a quite a dissension or quite a contention to the point that ended up being Paul and Silas went on the second missionary journey, I think, and Barnabas and John Mark went. So that's why at the Macedonian call in the Macedonian prison in Acts that you read about Paul and Silas saying at midnight instead of Saul and Barnabas or Paul and Barnabas. So, so sometimes church growth occurs because of some contentions in the faith. So we're on the same team, but they split and the word was multiplied, the converts were multiplied. So that's who those two folks are. They were both Jews. And then it says in, <laughs> I think, where was it where he was in, in prison or where he was writing and says, come before winter and, and bring Mark. You know, Mark's good. He's, he had forgiven Mark and, and said, John Mark, he's going to be good for the ministry. So I've forgiven him. So he, he says here, he says, if Marcus, if he comes and you receive him. So he's for receiving the converted slaves. He's for, for receiving those who he's had contentions with. And in verse 11 he says, And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are the, of the circumcision. So uh, Aristarchus, Marcus, John Mark, and Jesus, justice, were all Jews. Justice was actually one of the finalists in the apostle that was going to take the place of Judas Iscariot over in Acts chapter 1. Remember they said, where the lot fell upon Matthias. But it, was, it came down to justice and Matthias. So here Paul said, hey, he, he didn't get the job. How many of you have asked the Lord, say, Lord, I applied for that job and I wanted it and you didn't let me have it. I didn't get it. Justice, he was like, same thing. He, the lot didn't fall on him. He didn't get it. He was the runner-up. So, These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, he's mentioned back in chapter 1, too. I think it's maybe verse 10 or 12. Well, anyway, he's, oh, verse 7. You also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So he may have been the one that founded the Colossian church. Uh, he may have pastored it at some time, but he was a faithful fellow servant, Paul says, as he's given greetings from the brethren. He Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. So he said, here's the tri-cities. He's faithful. He's praying for you. And here we are, you know, 13 miles apart, 11 miles apart. Colossae is 11 miles from uh, Laodicea and 13 miles from Hierapolis. And he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And, of course, Luke was the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of the Gospel of Luke, uh, the physician. And Demas was the one that he said, Demas hath forsaken us, 
having loved this present world. But he gives them instructions in, in verse 15, 16, 17, and then gives his benediction. He says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. So they were talking, he was talking about Laodicea, and there was a small group or a church in the house of Nymphus. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So, as you're usually when Paul wrote a letter, he said, he said, read this letter in other churches, because I'm sure they have some folks that are in need of this instruction, this admonition, this encouragement, this letter. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. But between that, between, between him saying, take this letter to the church at Laodicea and read it and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord. So Archippus may have been a current pastor or a, another pastor at the church of Col Colossae. But between those two phrases, there's a sentence that says, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So now, the epistle from Laodicea is thought to have been a couple of different things. One is it's a lost letter. And that's what many scholars believe, that, that the epistle that was supposed to be read in Colossae and in Laodicea and the epistle from Laodicea to the the churches that were supposed to be read in Colossae was a lost letter. Others believe it was the letter to the Ephesians, a hundred miles west of Colossae and Laodicea. So, <clears throat> in verse 18 says, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you, amen. Now, when you look at these three cities, the letter that Sister Jones is going to teach about, the letter to the Laodicean, is the longest in the number of words of all the letters. It's the longest letter. And there's nothing good said about them. They have become rich and wealthy. So Hierapolis was the one that was positioned northernmost, I guess. But it had the hot springs. And they also had a lot of box-like funeral receptacles, caskets, made out of stone, limestone or something, where they had those because people went there to retire and experience death. They died. Now, when you go to the Holy Land, used to when you would stand up to where, at where Peter denied Christ three times, thrice, before the cock crew crowed, uh, you can look over to the Mount of Olives, and I called it the Mount of Sepulchres because it's pretty much white, dotted all over there. And it, you know, you see the olive trees down sort of in the, beyond the Kidron Valley in the Garden of Gethsemane, but there are all these different receptacles or mausoleums, whatever you want to call it, of dead people. And, and many of the people of the Jewish nation felt like, well, Jesus, when he left, he left from the Mount of Olives and says, and the two angels said, why stand you gaze? This same Jesus is coming back. So they said, hey, we want our dead to be right here so when he comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to be raptured. They'll be right here when he comes back. So whether you're buried there, over here in Grand, Grand View, whichever direction it is, or any Sherwood where Brother Roy Latham lies, this ain't me. That ain't him. But they're going to rise first. They're going to come out of that grave. 
I love it when our youth sing. Ain't no grave. Going to hold this body down. But Hierapolis is located in the Menderes River Valley, adjacent to that hot springs, or had the hot springs in it. And it became a healing center where doctors used those hot springs as a treatment for patients. So an earthquake came along in 17 AD and destroyed the city. And in 60 AD, an even more severe earthquake came through and left the city completely in ruins of Hierapolis. And afterwards, the city was rebuilt in Roman architecture. You know, if you go to uh, the Holy Land and other places that had, you know, the uh, Philippi Maritime or Caesarea Maritime, whichever one it is, it's over next. You see a lot of those Roman structures. You go up on the, the hill and you see where the reigning king would build a monstrosity so he could look down on the city. So the earthquake came in 17 and then it hit again in 60, a more severe one, and put the city in ruins. Well, they rebuilt the city with the financial support of the emperor of Rome. And I think one of the commentaries I read said it was uh, during the rule of Nero. But thousands of people would come to Hierapolis to benefit from those hot springs. Now, if you look at Colossae, if I can get over here to it, there's my Laodicea notes. But Colossae was a minor city about 100 miles east of Ephesus in the region of the seven churches. But it's located in the fertile Lycus Valley by a mountain pass on the road from Ephesus to the east. And you can kindly see it, and it is kindly a little, I'd call it a little side road. But it once was a very populous center of commerce, famous for its wool. Like I say, one commentary said black wool. Another commentary said uh, sort of a purple wool. But they made carpets and garments and different types of, I guess, prayer shawls and different types of, of goods from that. But by the time of Paul, the neighboring cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis were becoming stronger, and Colossae was on the decline. So, here is Hierapolis, and now here is Colossae. But now let's look at Laodicea. And oh, I want to read it so bad, Joan, that I, I better not, because when the Lord admonishes them or fusses at them, he talks about them and says, you say you're rich and you're poor. Well, let's see what happened to Laodicea. Laodicea was a wealthy city in Asia Minor. And one place I read said uh, Antiochus II was the head of the circuit of the mail route but he named Laodicea after his wife, uh, and her name was Laodicea, I guess, but he named it after her, and then a few months, days, years after, he divorced her. So that's pretty good, name it after your wife and then ship her down the road or whatever. But anyway, it was a wealthy city. It was rich in banking, and it was on the main trade route, which went from 
Ephesus over to Mesopotamia. And part of the route that is another route goes from Mesopotamia down to Egypt. And guess where it goes, where, where the main route goes through, where all the, the traffic goes through in the Holy Land? Capernaum. And a little bit west of Capernaum is a tiny city called Nazareth, which had, you know, three or 400, 500 residents. But Capernaum was the hub, was the center where all the traffic that went from Egypt to Mesopotamia passed through there. Everybody went from Mesopotamia, all the camels, all the donkeys, all the different caravans that went through from Mesopotamia down to Egypt came through Capernaum. So today they say Capernaum is the town of Jesus. But Jesus was of Nazareth, but he put himself in the path of the multitudes, as many as he could get. So Laodicea is kindly in that path of the trade route. It's a wealthy city. It's a banking center. Of course, I don't know how many banks they had, but, but anyway, in A.D. 60, when the great earthquake had prostrated, had raised it or destroyed it, they refused the Roman Senate's offer for funds and finances. Said, we don't need your money. We're a banking center. We're the wealthiest city on the route. She said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Like I say, that's part of Jones. A couple of weeks. But the Lycus Valley produced a glossy black wool, a source of, like I say, black carpets and black cloaks, and Colossae had the purple and black. So, you know, here they've got this source of income, and the city was famous for that. Laodicea was also the home of a medical school with the, with the manufacture of a famous eye salve. So when Joan starts talking, you'll get to hear all these things that Laodicea said they have and have need of nothing, but yet Jesus said, you have need of all these things. Put the eye salve on your eyes of Christ. Don't, say, don't refuse relief funds to rebuild your earthquake city. So, so a lot of folks would uh, come and retire in Hierapolis, but many of them would be retiring from Laodicea to Hierapolis or, you know, but here you got Laodicea right there in the, between the two where one's got the cold, refreshing waters coming and the other one's got the warm, hot springs. Well, when those two come together, it's spewing out of your mouth. It's leaving. So here we have, and so the interlude that we have tonight between the church at Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, this is why I chose to tell you about Colossae or the Colossian church. Even though Paul was in prison when he wrote it, even though he didn't attend uh, that church, he was 100 miles away in Ephesus in the Ephesian church. I wish Billy Fincham was in here. He's doing a study on Ephesians. He's been studying for three or four weeks, and I think he's finally into chapter 2. So, but anyway... Uh, these letters are to be read, read or to be, they were written, they were passed along. And uh, so there you have Colossians, right in the middle of the seven churches of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. So are there any questions about anything before we close with prayer? But...
hopefully this, these maps will help you kind of get a better gleaning and understanding of what and why. Because let me tell you, there are no meaningless details in the Word of God. They have a thread that runs through the geography. They have a thread that runs through the culture. They have a thread that runs through the way of life, the shoes, the clothing, the banking, the, all the different things that it had. And you'll notice on this, on this trade route or this mail route, a lot of these are close to water sources. And sometimes kings are not very smart. Like Agrippa, who put Paul on trial, and Paul said, or Agrippa said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Well, that's right on the Mediterranean Sea. But it's about 15 miles from the nearest freshwater source. So they have built aqueducts to bring water down there. So sometimes they say, oh, this is... This is right on the beach. This is right there in Daytona, right there in Miami, right there in Destin, right there in Panama. It's right there. Let's put it right here. This is going to be my headquarters. And he said, oops, where are we going to get the water? But a lot of their decisions were made on where the water source was and fresh water and what they had going on. So my admonishment, my encouragement to you is remember, Christ is supreme. He's in you, and you are in Him. Keep praying without ceasing. All right, questions? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us, dear Lord, to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. We pray that you will help us study your word more and more. Long for the word. Arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. Our loins girt with the truth. Our feet shod with peace. Breastplate of righteousness. Helmet of salvation. Let us put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the fiery darts. All the fiery darts. Let us, dear Lord, be in you. But Lord, be in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We in Christ, so we can face the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of God. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints.